Welcome to the podcast. In December, the MBTA struck a deal with its largest union that guaranteed the Transit Authority $22 million a year in savings while putting core operations, particularly bus service, off limits to privatization. It was hailed as a major milestone in the Baker administration's efforts to reform the T. And Transportation Secretary Stephanie Pollack said it couldn't have been done without the legislature's suspension of the Pacheco Law. Without outsourcing on the table, she said, we would not have reached this this agreement. We're going to discuss whether that's really true. My name is Bruce Mole of Commonwealth Magazine. With me today are State Auditor Suzanne Bump, who is charged with enforcing the Pacheco Law. Welcome, Madam Auditor. Delighted to be here, Bruce. Thank you. And Greg Sullivan, the Research Director at the Pioneer Institute and a former State Inspector General. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Bruce. Let's start with you, Madam Auditor. Privatization has been a big part of the Baker administration's turnaround plan for the T. In addition to the Carmen's Union contract, T officials have privatized the money room, warehouse operations, and are now looking at some aspects of bus service beyond the core service. Could they have done all that without the suspension of the Pacheco Law? Of course they could have, because we have a law that allows, specifically allows for privatization of many government services, including those at the MBTA. Um, All it does is require the agency to make the business case for it to the public uh, so that we can ensure that not only are there going to be cost savings, but that there are quality standards and service won't deteriorate. And because somebody... Uh, in fact, the, the private contractor is going to make a profit at, at doing this. We want to make sure that there are, the profit doesn't come simply by bringing in low-wage workers to do the job. We want to make sure that actually there are um, structural management benefits. So for me, it's, it, the Pacheco Law is an essential element of government accountability, uh, and it is... Uh, and to suspend the law uh, is to take away those protections for the taxpayers and the folks who depend upon the MBTA service. Greg, what do you think about the T? Did it need the suspension of the Pacheco law? Absolutely, it, it did. And you can see the, the end results. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a coincidence that, uh, you know, after 20 years, finally this breakthrough occurs as a result of the temporary suspension of the, of the Pacheco law. I think it's kind of self-evident. Um, you know, when, when people say that the Pacheco Law is a Taxpayer Protection Act, in fact, that's the actual title of the act, is to me, is a really ironic and cynical uh, suggestion. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that this uh, podcast is being conducted by Bruce Mall because Bruce Mall was the State House Bureau Chief for the Boston Globe during the contemporaneous time period when this went down, and also uh, a member of the uh, of the spotlight team for many years, and one of the things that you you did uh, when you were there was to investigate, bring out a really long-standing story that was uh, amazing about the president of the, of the Boston Commons Union, Jack Gallagher, and our conflict of interest. Uh, uh, he was eventually forced to uh, to step down, but but I think that you recognize, and I think that uh, uh, Madam Auditor uh, Suzanne Bump will also recognize uh, that this is political backdrop to this, really is. You know, the, the Pacheco Law was put into effect 
after Governor Weld proposed outsourcing one-third of, of the buses, at a bus service at the MBTA. And, and within two months, the legislature had responded by enacting the, the Pacheco law. It's, it, this, is, this was a response to this very contract. Um, the Could I interject? Um, Greg is is right in terms of the of when the Pacheco law was uh, was put in place, but I think he is failing to indicate uh, that there was not one single contract at the MBTA that caused the legislature to react. In fact, it was mostly because of the privatization that occurred within human services agencies, where we were asking companies to come in and do. Uh, do work with the elderly and with children and with other disadvantaged populations. And we saw exorbitant uh, salaries going to the executives of these companies that won these contracts uh, and a lack of standards around the care that was going to be received. And so it's not, that's why the Pacheco law doesn't just look at, um, at what the cost savings potential is, but it's also about the quality of care and how we're going to monitor the quality of care. It was those scandals in the human services contract area that was a was a part of this. I, I agree with Greg that there were more union, um, there was more of a union response that was provoked by the proposals um, to privatize at the MBTA, um, but that that is simply not the sole reason why that was put into law. Now, let me let me ask you, um, I've sat through a lot of the presentations that are made to go toward privatization at the T. I attend most of the weekly meetings of the, um, the T's Oversight Board. And most of these presentations are about, here we're about to put out an RFP, uh, here's what we're looking to do. Uh, and then when those RFPs come back in, it's here's the three firms that have re reached the final, here's the one that we're selecting, here's why we're selecting, it goes through all the cost analysis. Sometimes, like with the money room, you, there is not that much information provided about the wages paid to the people that are going to be driving the trucks and whatever, what have you. But there is a pretty detailed analysis of what, what they hope to accomplish, uh, what kind of savings they'll accomplish, and what kind of service improvements they often expect from that from that approach? It sort of seems I've talked to you about this. It seems like uh, that, by and large, would meet most of the. I think it's hard to say you haven't looked at it yourself, but that's sort of the what you would be looking for if you were going to approve one of these contracts. Is, is that fair to say? That's exactly right. They have to make the business case. But don't you think that the business case ought to be made to someone who is independent rather than somebody who's appointed by the governor to sit in and approve what goes on at the MBTA? That's why this responsibility was given to the auditor's office so that we could ensure that these kinds of decisions to let somebody else make a buck off provi providing a state service uh, was going to uh, provide a taxpayer benefit, a consumer benefit, and was not going to make a buck just on the backs of blue-collar workers. What I'm concerned about is that through the history of the MBTA particularly, but not, not just there, but sometimes in other privatization um, uh, proposals come up, that it is the it's because the agency is throwing up its hands and says 
we don't know how the heck to fix this, and so we're going to bring somebody else in. And if management doesn't have an idea of how to fix it, then how on earth are they going to be able to properly evaluate proposals for privatization from private companies? And then how are they going to hold them accountable? Uh, it's, it's the blue-collar workers who get disadvantaged because the white-collar workers are inept at their management in, in terms of their management capacities. That seems a little, um, to me, a little broad stroke, if, if you will, because granted, at the T, there has been a lot of debate about previously privatized um, janitorial services, cleaning up the stations and what have you. And the Baker administration, through the T management, changed the contract, or actually honored the contract the way it was originally written, and went to a performance-based contract, which required the contractors to live within a budget and provide the same amount of service. What they did is to sort of slash worker, you know, how much time workers were doing, were on the job, reducing their health benefits by reducing their hours, and a lot of stuff. Now, the oversight board responded to that and is, is going through the process of re- Doing those contracts, so there is there is a, a way to to get generate that change, but I think my sense is that the management over there is concerned about this, and they're looking at they're looking at things that they do. What do, what does the T do well? You know, they they transport people from one place to another. They don't maybe do so well as manage a money room. That's their argument, or manage warehouses, or do all these sort of there are a myriad of functions that they are not special. That's not their expertise. And so I think they're looking at primarily where can they save money, but where can they tap into expertise of companies that do this on a daily basis? So I, I don't think it's a black or white. You sort of portray it as, you know, they're, they're just always doing it. This way. I think it's a little more nuanced than that from my perspective. And I, I just... Well, I will agree that that is... That is rather broad brush. And actually, it frankly isn't even 100% reflective of the work that the auditor's office has done here, because I completely agree with you. Um, proposals, uh, other than in the MBTA, proposals for uh, universities to uh, bring in somebody to run their bookstore function, uh, to privatize the running of the bookstore, makes perfect sense. Universities, our state colleges and universities are, are there to educate students. They're not there to, uh, to, to, to run retail operations. So those kinds of things get, get approved. But my hesitancy particularly around, and actually, so 14 out of the 17 um, privatization proposals that have ever come before the auditor's office have been approved. I've approved a number of them while I've been here, and for the Baker administration. So I think that I personally have shown that notwithstanding some of my hesitance about this, um, that we can objectively analyze a, a proposal for privatization and, and approve it and survive a court challenge, as a matter of fact. One of our recent, um, one of our recent decisions to allow privatization was challenged by the union and the court found in our favor saying we did absolutely what the law required and we... We uh, you know, we supported the administration's uh, the administration's case, but what concerns me about the MBTA is this is an agency that has been historically 
poorly managed, and the their contract management is no has been no better than their operations management. They have privatized many things at the MBTA. You just mentioned janitorial services. They also, a number of years ago, privatized the real estate management. Um, they own a lot of property uh, and, uh, and and buildings and the like, and they had. Um, a real estate privatized many years ago, the real estate management, it has been a disaster because they didn't have standards. Millions of dollars was paid inappropriately to the real estate management companies that have come in. Uh, they don't have a good track record of doing this. Look at look at the failures uh, to, uh, to, uh, to have proper standards and oversight of the, uh, the parking. The parking lots. I mean, they they took a, they moved a contract to, um, from one parking lot operator, gave it to another one. Immediately, revenues fell because seems like people were at the parking lot, and the private company were stealing the money. We're stealing the money now. <laughs> now, you've got to have effective management, whether you are going to manage it internally or you're going to. You're going to give the responsibility for day-to-day operations to a private vendor because, in the end, the taxpayer is still on the hook. Greg, um, she makes a very good point that um, that all she's doing is trying to comply with this law and make sure the T or any other agency is doing, you know, what they say they're going to do. But critics often say, oh, there's so many complications with the Pacheco law. It's just a nightmare to get it approved. Is, is there truth to that, or is that, is that there's, myth? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of truth to it. Um, Suzanne just mentioned uh, the approval of a bookstore contract at uh, UMass Dartmouth. I was at a Mass Bar Association presentation where they discussed that. The person who actually managed it for UMass Dartmouth said that it t- took more than a year to go through the uh, oversight and process to approve this contract. He said it was harder than having a baby. Well, that's a man's point of view. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, and, and the contract, and the contract came with a, with a forty uh, percent discount on all books, for the students, and it was a clear win. Uh, you know, my, my point is this. I mean, uh, Suzanne uh, Bump, uh, I have a lot of respect for, her, but she's giving kind of the, the uh, party line story about the Pacheco Law and the Taxpayer Protection Act. But I'm going to talk candidly about what it really is. It's a protectionist, union protectionist job. But there, I mean, there were more than 250 major transit systems in the U.S. We're the only one that has this. That should be one signal for you to think about that. Um, the, the, law, first, the, the, the law has an Alice in Wonderland element to it. I'm going to tell you what I, what I mean by that. Under this law, uh, the if some if the if the T wants to outsource something, they can they can get a bid in for that service, but then the audit under the Pacheco law, the auditor has to compare whether that bid would would result in savings when compared to the T employees operating at in the most efficient manner possible. This subjective. Qualification. That's why I say Alice in Wonderland, because you have to have that way of thinking. That's in law. Okay, how would you measure this? Also, the, the law requires that the, that the vendor hire the, the current employees and pay them the uh, union wage, the, the, the base union wage, for, for the position. 
So now, you, now you're saying, okay, we're going to outsource this. Um, let, let's say at, at, uh, at the, the lottery. The lottery used to have lottery employees deliver, didn't pick up the tickets and money. They went to FedEx. Huge savings, 60% savings. Uh, but if FedEx had to hire the same employees and pay them the same as the state, the savings wouldn't have been there. Mm. So it's a, it's a, and the other thing is, is that the, 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 the Pacheco law is a political, uh, result of a political move that occurred. I was there, you were there, uh, Bruce, Suzanne was there. I wasn't in the legislature at that time, I just left. Well, but, I actually uh, wasn't there. But, okay, but, but what, what I'm saying, you were there in the, the milieu of, uh, of, of the uh, environment, of the union protectionist environment at that time. So w what I'm saying is that it was put in to block the privatization. And do you know that the, the company that bid, uh, the, the companies that bid for that bus service bid for a fixed amount for five years. The, the auditor said they, had, that they hadn't demonstrated that it would result in savings. The, the, the union employee said they could do the same service for $5 million less. We went, at Pioneer, we did a forensic review, all backed up, uh, annotated uh, with citations to show that the T ended up spending 80.4 million more over that five years for the same service. That, so in other words, they said you didn't show it would save money. But it did save money. In fact, our estimate carrying forward showed that it would that the T lost about four hundred fifty million dollars by not privatizing that one third of their bus service. Uh, this is big money, um, and I think, and to me, it's a political thing. The problem is that the that the auditor can be can have a political leaning towards the unions. That is the vulnerability. So he raises a couple of interesting points that you often hear about the wording of the law itself. Uh, this, this point about you have to, uh, you know, match it up against what existing employees would do if they were doing it at the most, what's the word, optimal? Uh, uh, yes. That, most that does sound a little possible. nonsensical in terms of a law. How does that work? Actually, that's a red herring. Um, what it means is that the union gets the opportunity to make a proposal to, uh, to change the qualifications for people, to change the number of people doing a job in, in an effort to compete uh, against a privatization proposal. Uh, and if they can do it, then... Theoretically, it would be approved. Uh, I mean, the, then they would be allowed to do it rather than the privatization proposal um, being approved. And yet, it's it's never happened. It's never happened that the union has been able to make the case that we can do it better, uh, and that therefore it shouldn't be privatized. So I know that that's in the law, but the way that it gets portrayed by the opponents uh, really raises a red herring. It's never been applied in that way because you couldn't otherwise apply it. It's real, it's up to the unions to make the to make the pitch. And I do have to correct something that Greg said. The law does not. Um, guarantee them jobs with the private vendor. It allows them to apply for those jobs, and they don't get to apply for those jobs at the same uh, salary, at the same uh, pay rates. Uh, they are, uh, th the only guarantee there is that it be at market, at market rates. Uh, so it's not, 
it's 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 not, not well, it's that's, that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's not accurate well no no that's not that's what the law that's what the law says I mean in, in your approvals that you're mentioning that you've done each one of them has a condition that they have to hire the employees from the existing contract if they're qualified and that they have to pay the minimum union rate no I it, it's for the for the positions as they have reclassified them and they generally downgrade them and there you end up paying union rates. We just did a very controversial um, proposal for a privatization at the Department of Mental Health. Um, they wanted to privatize the delivery of emergency medical services in the mental health uh, arena. Uh, and the much of the state had already moved to this model, but a couple geographic areas of the state uh, had not. Uh, we spent a lot of time uh, ensuring that the uh, the cost was uh, was was going to be beneficial to the taxpayers, uh, and also that the uh, that the care levels were not going to uh, to suffer. I uh, and there. There was never any understanding that all of those workers were going to be able to get keep those keep those jobs, and that's why, in fact, because there was no such guarantee. That's why they went to court. They sued. They sued me, and they sued the the governor. Um, and I had approved it, and the court agreed that my my uh, my my process and my rationales for approving it were appropriate. Um, if the union, if these workers were just going to be able to move over to the to to the privatized uh, privatized privatized contractor uh, at the same wage rates, why would they? What would have been the problem, Madam Honor? Why do you? I, I remember when the legislature was debating whether to suspend the Pacheco law for the T. Yeah, um, and was I was a, not there. Uh, I was out of the legislature no, just, then. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I... Yeah, I mean, so... I, I believe you were the auditor, though, then, right? The audit? No, I didn't become the auditor until t- t- 2011. And we're, no, no, when the, when the oh, legislature excuse, suspended oh, I'm sorry. for the T. Oh, and the leg- yes, 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 I have been. Yes, remember, that just happened a couple of years ago, and I testified against it. And you testified against I remember you testifying yeah. against it. Why do you think the Democratic legislature, which passed... I mean, it's not the same legislature, but yeah. why do you think they went along with that? Because... Um, I have a feeling a lot of the lawmakers are sympathetic to your point of view, um, and yet they went along with the Baker administration's request for this. What, what's your sense of why that was? I think it's because everybody was looking for the opportunity to say, I did something in response to the, uh, to the obvious failure of the MBTA during those, that cataclysmic winter that we had. There was enormous pressure on everybody to do something. And then they could say, well, here's a proposal. We're going to support the governor. The governor's going to take responsibility for this. And now I can say that I did something. Um, we'll see what they do What they do um, again. But for me, it's a matter of accountability. What is the mechanism to ensure that this is going to be in the best interest of the taxpayers and in the best interest of the folks who rely on MBTA service? And... And you know what? Charlie Baker and his administration may be doing a great job with the MBTA, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't have systems in place or decide we don't need systems in place any longer just because there's one good manager today. 
what happens when when Stephanie Pollack is no longer uh, the transportation secretary or Charlie Baker is no longer the governor? Are we going to revert to a system where the, we're just we're just grasping at straws for quick fixes uh, and for or making decisions as as uh, Bill Weld was doing um, on the basis of political philosophy? Uh, it, it shouldn't be that way. We need to have mechanisms to provide accountability, to provide oversight, to ensure um, effective performance of government operations for people um, who are paying taxes and who are paying uh, fares in order to, uh, you know, to, to, to get these government benefits. So last question to the two of you. Um, I believe I'm, I'm a little sketchy on this, but I think we're in the second year of the three-year suspension, or maybe we're yeah. going into the third. I'm not quite no, sure. We're, aren't we, Greg, finishing up just the a, third year? No, no, just finish the second year. Oh, okay. So, right. um, so there's going to be a decision point at some point relatively soon right. about whether the Baker administration seeks to continue the suspension, to extend it, or whether there might be a... I mean, you could foresee that the the quote-unquote success at the T might engender a discussion about whether this should be broadened. No, let, let me, let me I would just sort of want to get your there's, points of view on a, that. So there's a campaign right now going on to not to let this uh, Pacheco uh, law uh, continue to be uh, suspended at the T. It's a political thing. If, if you want to, if you want to, I mean, all, all the stuff that Suzanne's talking about, you know, to me is, is like, uh, pardon me, is like a cover story for what the real story is. The real story is that the Carmen Jr. at the T wants to have this law reinstituted. And that, that's, that, that tells a lot. In other words, they're, they're fighting. I was at a hearing at the State House, uh, Suzanne spoke. Uh, about uh, not allowing the Pachuco law to be suspended, and they cheered, you know. I mean, the, the problem is that the auditor's office, if the auditor's office is favoring the Carmen's Union, uh, uh, that's the problem because it's com it can bring in the opposite of what you're talking about, Suzanne. In other words, you, you're, you, you were endorsed by the Carmen's Union when you ran for auditor. You were endorsed by the Carmen's Union when you ran again. They give you campaign contributions all the time, every year. Uh, you, 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 you speak for them, so on and so forth, and you say, this is, this is a, a taxpayer protection. Is the Carmen's Union, are they fighting for the taxpayers, or are they just trying to stop the outsourcing at the T? That's the bottom line. Well, if the auditor shows favoritism to a union, that is the downfall. That's the it's it's a mechanism to allow that to, to occur. That's what I believe. Well, I think that when an argument descends into personal attacks like that, it's because there it's because and questioning my motivation, it's because the 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 arguments just don't favor the other side. I'd point out if Greg wants to talk about personal motivations, I'd point out that the uh, the the union at the uh, of DMH workers who sued me in court have also endorsed me. Well, they endorsed me as when I was in the legislature. They endorsed me when I was uh, first running for water. They endorsed me again when I ran for re-election. They have given me campaign contributions. And you know what? I decided against the union, and they sued me. So. I, I think that it's, it's really low of Greg to suggest that, uh, that, it is, that I'm making decisions on the basis of some sort of political uh, 
allegiance that I have to unions when I have shown uh, that the auditor's office, as I am running it, is independent and objective, and we follow the law, and we believe in accountability uh, on behalf of the taxpayers and the, uh, and the folks dependent on government service. And you can't point to any decisions that we've made that contradicts well, I, that. But, but well, let me just follow up. But wouldn't the same argument that you raise about the manager at the T currently or the governor at the current time or Stephanie Pollack, wouldn't that also apply to the state auditor? What happens if you're... You leave office. You run for governor, let's say. We have, but Milwaukee. we have the law. We have the requirements of the law. Look, I mean, as I said, 14 of 17 privatization proposals that have been put before the auditor's office, me and my predecessor, have been approved. The agency has taken the time to make the business case. And, I, I, you know, state government agencies are not used to making the business case not because they're indifferent to it in many instances, but because they don't have the resources to make the business case. This law requires that they make the business case and that someone independent approves the proposal to make sure that the quality is going to be there, that it's actually going to produce a benefit to taxpayers. Well, the, pro the problem is uh, independence. And, and I, I agree with you, uh, the, I sense the uh, hypothesis of your question. Um, if the auditor uh, in office is predisposed to favor the unions, then this is the instant cure for, to prevent privatization. That's what happened with Joe Danucci. I, I served with Joe Danucci, the prior auditor. If he was sitting right here, he would just tell you straight up that he is backing the unions. And he, that's, he, was, a, he was a member of the old Democratic Guard, a real Democratic uh, uh, lion, and there's no secret about it. Uh, but in, he in approved case, I mean, privatization not to, not to, proposals not when they met the requirements of the law. Uh, I mean, well, personal, this, I mean, engaging the, the, in personal slander not to bring up a sore subject, just shows a deficit of, your, 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 of facts your on your first side, assistant, uh, uh, Your deputy auditor sued you in federal court, and the Commonwealth had to pay $115,000 on the allegation that you had met with the uh, uh, political directors of the uh, SEIU State Employees Union, and that had directed the per persons conducting an audit of the uh, Department of Children and Families uh, to talk with their political director before issuing the audit. Uh, in that case, and that, and that out, was false. That, that was a that, false claim. Well, it may be false, but the taxpayers paid one hundred fifteen thousand. I'm, I'm bringing up the point. If, if, if the if the union, if the auditor's office is predisposed to favor the unions, then this is the instant click. They can stop privatization. That's what happened under the prior auditor, and it cost the state $450 million. Just, we're, we're going to, oh, you want to save something to that? I want to say, what the heck is going on here, Bruce? What the heck? I came in here for a conversation about a public policy matter, and I'm listening to an individual personally slandering me. Could you call an end to this, please? All right. Well, we'll call an end to that. But it sounds like there's a precursor of a debate that's going to be coming up shortly in the state about whether to, to uh, continue the suspension or even to debate the Pacheco law in general. 
As always, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, check us out each week. And thanks to our guest, Auditor Suzanne Bump. Pleasure and, to be with you, Bruce. And Greg Sullivan. Thank, Thank you, you, Bruce.